You're listening to MG Magazine's Industry Voice, a series of conversations with innovators, trendsetters, and leaders who are responsible for driving the cannabis industry forward. Jesse Horton is the co-founder and CEO of the cannabis brand, Loud. Based in Portland, Oregon, Loud has not only won several awards, but is considered to be one of the top producers in the Pacific Northwest. He is also the co-founder of two industry nonprofit organizations, the Minority Cannabis Business Association and The New Project. Jesse is both an entrepreneurial visionary and an inspirational leader. It's our honor to share with you this conversation between Jesse Horton and MG Magazine's Jeff Hale. So paint me a picture. You're sitting in your German office chair at Siemens as a senior strategy advisor for the largest industrial manufacturing company in Europe. And you decide to make a career change. What's that like? When I was in Germany, I was 29 years old at the headquarters and really kind of on a great trajectory to um, getting what I thought I wanted, right? As this big executive um, in the engineering world. And when I got there, I quickly realized that I wasn't passionate about it. You know, no matter how successful I was there, I just constantly was thinking that I am, I'm cheating myself by, by being in something that I'm not passionate about. I could obviously be successful, but what if I could be in something that I did care about and that I did love? So, you know, I didn't think about a career change until I actually moved back to the U.S. Okay. They placed me in Portland. Um, and I was a sales engineer when I was in Portland. And I quickly realized that sales wasn't for me and that I hated it. But at the same time, I was growing as a hobby, growing outside and in my basement. And, you know, that really quickly transitioned me to something I did love, which is the cannabis industry. And I decided to put in my resignation about one year after getting to Portland. Were there any big, I mean, obviously you come from a, a very successful place in Europe, especially at 29 years old. Were there any surprises when telling friends or family that you were moving back to the States and kind of moving away from that trajectory in some way? You know what? I was still on the trajectory when I moved back to the U.S. It was a, it was a delegation that I was doing in Munich that was uh, only set to be about a year and a half. And after your delegation, they bring you back to another you know position in the USA. So, you know, I was still on that that same trajectory until I started growing in my basement. And, you know, when I told uh, friends, family, coworkers, only a select few coworkers, I think everyone thought I was crazy, you know, <laughs> without a doubt. They thought I was nuts. And, uh, you know, that was definitely something that I had to get over, right? The, the idea that you're going against the norms to, to, to do something that you love. Did that make it a lot harder for you? Not necessarily saying you didn't have that support, but as anybody trying to transition into a new venture, that might be a difficult way to go about it. You know what? It didn't. Surprisingly, it did not. Um, it was not difficult. I knew that I was doing what I loved. I knew I always had been a cannabis, you know, a cannabis consumer since I was very young and and just loved cannabis. So, you know, I knew that I had found the perfect place at the time. Um, the state of Oregon was. Uh, going into the legislative session and deciding the rules for medical dispensaries. There were already medical dispensaries, but they wanted to make it a little more formal. So I kind of got dropped right into everything that was happening. And I, I knew that it was kind of the universe moving me in that direction. So I wasn't I wasn't too concerned about the feedback from my peers and my family. What was it about Portland that was so inviting as a potential cannabis headquarters? Certainly the timing, as you just mentioned, is it a bit of that timing and just the the unique, keep it weird culture that we know of Portland? 
You know what? Portland is just so different than anywhere I've ever. I'm from the from the southeastern U.S., so you know I spent a lot of time in Florida, Georgia, and and you know Maryland, Texas, those areas. So if you if you've been to those areas and you've been to Portland, you quickly realize that you're in a different place, different perspectives, different people, and you know that was really refreshing to me. I, I really um, enjoyed that that move away from the East coast grind where it's more like keeping up with the Joneses, right? You Mm got to have this car, you got to do these things. And, and I learned from my time in, in Germany that, um, you know, they do things a lot differently, right? People go on real vacations, people really spend time outside, they go to the mountains. So I got a taste of that in Germany. And when I came to Portland, you know, that felt way more familiar. And when I was driving on my sales route and I was seeing Mount hood, you know, a snow capped mountain, Mm-hmm. I've never been around mountains before going to Germany. Um, I was hooked. I'm a mountain guy. Some people are ocean guys or ocean gals guys. I'm yep. a mountain person. So when I see that mountain, it just does something to my soul. You know, I guess it was a strategy of mine that if I was going to get into this industry, if I was going to completely turn away from, you know, my my, my past um, in, in corporate America, that I had to be really serious. You know, mm-hmm. I had to get involved. I had to you know, I, I would go down to Salem whenever they were deciding the medical rules, right? And they would have their sessions at the courthouse, right? Or at the, at the Capitol, right. if you will. I would be the only guy in a suit, you know, <laughs> in Portland in a suit going down there, sitting in the back of the room. I quickly stuck out. But, you know, I was just that serious about making sure I put my absolute best foot forward in everything that I did. So I joined, you know, I volunteered for all the committees. I I submitted applications to, to to be at the table, right, so that I could understand what was happening and at least maybe have some level of influence um, in the direction of what was happening in the industry and in, and in Oregon. So the task force appointment uh, from Governor Kate Brown was excellent for me because not only was it a place, uh, the, the name of the task force, Task Force for Cannabis Environmental Best Practice. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a real understanding that my background and I, I did a lot of energy and environmental work when I was at Siemens. Okay. So I had a really, I was a certified energy manager and had a real understanding of it in addition to a lot of things, right. That kind of intersect with the cannabis industry. But that was the first time that I was like, man, my, my background puts me in a really unique space in this industry, you know, getting the chance to sit on that task force, not only provide feedback on how to make a more environmentally friendly uh, industry here in Oregon, it just solidified my purpose in this market, right? It solidified um, this vision that I had that I was in the right place. Do you think experience like that is the best teacher for somebody who who didn't necessarily know a whole lot about the commercial side of the industry? Yeah, without a doubt. What I always tell people um, in my time in MCBA, Minority Cannabis Business Association, where we spent time helping people to understand, to get into the industry, to navigate, to network, you know, what I always told people is what, what I found to be true. Utilize your experience, your background, and apply that in some way to this industry, right? And, and you will find value. You'll find places where you add value to the market, you add value to consumers, and that you are really able to um, to do something significant, right? Not just be in the industry, but to actually be pushing the industry forward in some way, which it needs desperately. So without a doubt, you got to use your experience. You've got to use what you know better than anyone else and apply that to the industry to have the, the most success. 
That kind of makes me think that your background in industrial engineering probably pushed you pretty hard into indoor cultivation. You know what? Without a doubt, it did. You know, when I was in my, I think more than anything, it was starting in my basement. I did do a little outdoor. I got a quickly got a complaint from my neighbor uh, <laughs> that he could see it. Um, so I, I had to move it indoors. And mm -hmm. that's where I was really learning about how to develop efficiencies and the process, right? And the movements from ergonomics classes where you're trying to, you know, limit the movements and you're trying to make a really efficient process as well as energy efficiency. I was doing things like bringing in water chilled or heat exchangers and water cooling my lights um, and getting efficiency of, you know, 40 to 50% more than if I would have just brought an AC in. So without mm -hmm. a doubt, that sparked, you know, a lot of, a lot of ideas and made me feel comfortable that I could add something to the indoor market that other people weren't able to do. But at the same time, I started in greenhouses. Um, at, at our first grow, we had about 12 greenhouses and a very small indoor growth. So I absolutely love that aspect of it as well. But, you know, growing in Portland outdoors, even in greenhouses can have its challenges uh, when you get around to the rainy season uh, in October. So I wasn't able to master that the way that I was indoor, you know, get closer towards mastery. But I plan to um, establish more greenhouses at our new facility. So I think it's an important part of the market that I want to be more involved with. So beyond loud, I know you do a lot of consulting for other businesses. Within that, what's the biggest problem facing indoor growers today? Wow, yeah, I, my eyes have been open so much in doing consulting over the last couple of years and the challenges that licensees face in building indoor facilities. There's just a huge gap of knowledge um, that's missing between the engineers that are being hired for the most part and the proper efficient function of um, indoor cultivation, controlled um, indoor agriculture. So I've just seen that the ability to pay for that missing gap of knowledge, right, mm -hmm. um, has been just astounding. There's one company I was consulting with and the engineers, um, they had built many other facilities. They were really well known and they suggested dehumidification equipment that would be about $700,000. And when I looked at the numbers and I dug into their, their calculations, I realized a number of mistakes. And, you know, we were able to, to size that dehumidification system for about eighty dollars or $90,000. It's mind-blowing. I mean, it really is. And it's happening all over the place. So I think being able to build facilities on budget in a way that also makes facilities competitive going forward as the industry gets more and more saturated, these facilities have to operate efficiently and they have to remain competitive. And I think a lot of those things are missing in how people are building facilities just because they don't really have that, the knowledge of the engineering aspect and being able to dig in the calculations, but then also the knowledge of real cultivation and what's happening in that facility. Do you see yourself as more of a tortured soul steering living organisms or a troubled inventor seeking an objectively better system. I know you really, you straddle that line between the engineer and the, the home grower that we know. And that's a, an interesting perspective, I think. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, and I can tell you've talked to a lot of growers because you mentioned tortured soul, right? <laughs> that yeah, is... that's, that's a feeling in the grow room. If you've, <laughs> if you've got all of these living organisms and you're just, you're just trying to get the best out of them and they're, they're so delicate and sensitive at so many places along the path. 
Yeah, I thought it was so funny that you said that because that's exactly how I describe it to other. Most growers are tortured souls, right? They cannot celebrate wins because they know right around the corner there's something happening, right, that they're going to miss. So it's like a constant feeling of worry and concern without really being able to celebrate your wins the way that you want to. And it's definitely difficult. Luckily, I have been able to move out of the cultivation space and growing myself um, as I bring on staff and, and teach them. My partner, Dave, is the best cultivator I know. And he really is the one that, you know, leads that effort over at Loud. So I, I'm not a tortured soul quite anymore. But, you know, I definitely am closer to the to the troubled inventor and in that um, I just know that there's just so many places to add value, Jeff. I mean, it's mind blowing. We all get caught up in the negativity of the industry, especially in places like Portland, California, the saturation, the difficulty, the yeah. need to compete. I don't think about that, man, because I know that there's so many ways that I can add value and differentiate through new services through new uh, processes in our facility, new strains, whatever it is, and I'm just focused all the time on how do I find that value? How do I invent these solutions? How do I bring that to market in a way that has value to people? So that's always what's on my mind uh, each and every day. And, um, you know, it's, it's stressful, but at the same time, I love it, man. I love this industry. I I'm so lucky to be doing what I'm doing that, you know, it's, it's a great challenge to have every day. And I know that you're all in on it. It looks like you've replaced a lot of your previous board member and advisory roles with teaching. Now you're an adjunct professor at a couple colleges. Has that felt more intentional or organic as a, like a career move, if I could say? It was absolutely organic. You know, I'd never thought about it. I'd seen how universities were hiring people from the industry or they were starting courses. You know, I recently spent a little time in New York and I have some really good friends there. And I, it was just an opportunity that was presented to me. Um, someone reached out and said, hey, we got this class that we want to develop. It's going to be the first cannabis major in the state of New York. And what school is this for? This is for LIM College. It's a private university in Manhattan. Not too, too long after that, uh, someone from Medgar Evers, which is a HBCU, historically black college and university, that's in Brooklyn and asked me to uh, do you know, a, a similar thing, develop the curriculum and teach the course. And it's been amazing, you know, and um, it's been really fun, a full circle moment. You know, back when I was in college, I'd gotten arrested for uh, cannabis possession and had to leave school because I you know, lost my scholarship and had a lot of issues with cannabis criminality and my ability to get an education mm -hmm. and how it, you know, how it conflicted. And the idea that, you know, now it's aligned and I can be the one to help move that forward is absolutely mind blowing and has been really rewarding in working with these students because, you know, most classes that I was in, engineering, ergonomics class, you know, um, engineering, math, whatever it may be, uh, we just wanted the assignment and we wanted to get out of there. Tell us yeah. how to do it and get out of there, you know, and in this class, people, students are really engaged. They're asking questions. They want to stay late. They want to jump in, you know, and figure this out and utilize all the knowledge that I have to give them. So it's it's been great to see that and refreshing to see that from from an education standpoint. Specifically, your your lost scholarship at Florida State or, or temporarily lost, I think. Do you think that experience has impacted who you are as a teacher? You know, without a doubt, I think, you know, that that experience has just made me take take this 
a lot more seriously, right? I understand the significance of this moment, the idea that I am now teaching cannabis courses to students and cannabis caused so much turmoil in my life. Um, so it feels like a purpose. It feels like something that, you know, I can dive all the way into and really put everything I have into being successful at it. It's just made it a lot more real and a lot more significant of an opportunity because of my history in education and cannabis. As we slowly inch toward federal legalization, I hear a lot of people talking and worried about consolidation and big businesses coming in and kind of turning cannabis into a commodity. What can Portland's culture-focused craft cannabis brands teach the larger MSOs about the industry? Well, I think first what it can teach it um, is that the MSOs are going to have a very difficult time growing the quality cannabis that you know craft growers in Oregon can produce. That's the main thing is they need to understand that there's lanes, right? There are just just like there are in all, all other products and alcohol, beer, um, the Portland craft beer market has has always led the way in so many ways. Um, the Portland craft coffee, I think, in some ways. Right. So we are teaching MSOs that we're able to satisfy a portion of the market that maybe they can't touch and that they can't demand loyalty from. And. You know, as I see consolidation in the market, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think some people are happy about the ability to, you know, be rewarded for everything that they've done, right, and maybe sell their business. I think mm -hmm. you know, that's not always a bad thing. Many people are, are winning there. So I think that there's bright spots there. But at the same time, as you see consolidation, um, craft growers like myself should just be more and more confirmed that there will be a place for us that we can differentiate from what the MSOs are producing and that there, you know, there's space and there's room for, for both of us. My Portland friends rave about Loudflower and they're certainly of the craft aficionado type. What's new on the horizon for you? We've got some really cool stuff. You know, I've been holding back over the last year, just trying to make sure it's almost like you let great be the enemy of good. I think is yeah. what they say. So I've been, you know, we haven't released any pre-rolls and we're releasing Artisan Hash Infused pre-rolls uh, over the next uh, few weeks. And we think those are going to do extremely well on the market. We have a solution to an environmental issue of, you know, too much plastic uh, in the cannabis industry, right? Waste is a real problem. So we're, we're bringing in a refillable UV resistant glass jar that is called a howler and it gives uh, our best customers opportunity to save money by utilizing this jar and not, you know, getting more plastic as they go and pick up loud. And we're releasing that over the next uh, few weeks as well. So, you know, we're excited about bringing those things to the market. We think it's going to be a really, a, a really big hit. I'll look forward to trying it for the first time. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you, the brand, the product, and, and hope you have a good, bright future. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate the, the chance to be on the podcast and look forward to talking to you in the future. The Industry Voice is a collection of interviews conducted by MG Magazine's editorial team. Since 2015, MG's award-winning platforms have set new standards in B2B journalism and are regarded as highly influential, market-leading resources dedicated to advancing communication, progress, and leadership within the cannabis industry. To learn more, visit mgmagazine.com.